This is uh, October 4th, 2008. We are in Lesson 6, which is the word repent, or uh, in Hebrew, uh, shuv. Let's open in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to serve you uh, in prayer, Father. We, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you uh, with our hands and the things that we do for one another. Uh, Father, we thank you for... Uh, giving us the opportunity of holding your word in our hands, Lord, and uh, that the, this time that we can spend together in uh, in opening it up, may it uh, may it inspire us, may it uh, motivate us to spend more time with you, Father, in prayer and in your word. May we be uh, people who have uh, look who who continue to look to your word for all of our guidance, uh, for all of our authority in life. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now continue praying. Bring us back, our Father, to your Torah. And bring us near our King to your service. And influence us to return in perfect repentance before you. Blessed are you, Lord, who desires repentance. Amen. That is from the daily Shacharit. Uh, actually, it's the same for all three... three uh, uh, Instances of the uh, Shimon Asrei. That's from the daily prayers. Uh, let's look at it in a little bit, little bit more in depth using scripture here in a moment. Um, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn—that's uh, that word, shuv—from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Uh, in the Shemona Esrei, the prayer that immediately, the, the blessing that immediately follows uh, that blessing of, of, uh, um, of repentance is, in fact, forgive us, our Father, if we have erred. Pardon us, our King, if we have willfully sinned. That, that is uh, it's directly related. Uh, we're going to see as we look into this, there is a, uh, there is a, um, a recognition in repentance of sin. Uh, unfortunately, though, we, that's all we've ever done with the word is we've kind of said, well, that's kind of like a one-time deal or it's a camp experience. You do it every once in a while. Um, and I hope that we see by the end of the day that that's not at all true. Uh, this is from Matthew 4, verse 17. At, from that time, Yeshua began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does anybody remember when we were doing Matthew the significance of this? What's the significance of Yeshua saying this? What else did he say? Is it, it is prophetic. It is prophetic, absolutely. But uh, what else did he say? First of all, is he the first one that said it? No. no. Well, John, in, in Matthew, John said it first. And before, before John, Yochanan said it, what was it? I mean, it's a rep- repetition of the prophets, right? This is nothing new. It's the same thing. But what is this phrase? What do we call this phrase? The gospel. This is the gospel. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, just as uh, by means of introduction, we've looked at fear, uh, as in fear the Lord. You're going to fear somebody. Uh, you might as well fear Him, uh, because that fear reaps a blessing. Hear, which is also similar to obey. Uh, hear someone. Uh, uh, some people here listen to, pay attention to, obey the wrong people. Here it is. Why not obey God? Love. We are going to love something, someone. Uh, how much better if it is that it is a response to his love for us that we love God. Treasure, or to keep, uh, Shamar, we saw this was uh, 
um, the same thing. You're going to treasure something. You know, houses and lands or the Almighty's commands. You decide. And lastly, uh, last week we looked at teach. Uh, and all of these things we see are things that we're supposed to be teaching one another. We saw, in fact, that uh, the, the job of the priests, the Levites, specifically uh, the Levites, actually the priests would have been included, uh, I suppose, by, by default, but all the Levites were to teach um, the difference between what is clean and unclean, between what is holy and what is common. The Havdalah service this evening after sunset, that is one of the <coughs> prayers that we pray specifically, and actually it's a prayer straight from Scripture, uh, that, that, uh, or it incorporates much of Scripture, and that is uh, that he is blessed because he separates between what is common and what is holy. At the end of the Sabbath, we recognize, we, Havdalah means to separate, we recognize that we begin the week, the week anew, the first day of the week. Uh, so by... Uh, recognizing God has set something apart, that's how you set it apart. You have to recognize, first of all, there's a difference. There's a distinction. When it's people say, you know, well, I, I believe in the Sabbath. I believe in the Sabbath. Uh, but, you make, but you can make it any day of the week. You know, I believe that, you know, it's a Sabbath of our heart. You know, that we can cease our labors, that, that, uh, that Messiah has done everything for us. And that's actually a very good recognition. That's from he, uh, Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 4. gives us that concept. The problem is that at the same moment, not actually experiencing a Sabbath every week, you wonder if they really do understand what it means to cease, to stop, to rest. It was made, it was made for man. It's good for us. It's very good for us. But the idea that you, you can recognize a Sabbath and you, yet you can't discern the difference between what is holy and, not, and common. In other words, you don't know when it starts or when it ends is a clear understanding you don't get it. You don't. That's one of the things that the Levites were supposed to teach, the difference between the holy and the common. Uh, and the difference is that which is set apart for God. And it is our goal to make the common things of this life to bring God's name into all that we do so that we live holy lives all the time. I mean, imagine. I, I suppose it's the difference between, uh, between the Christianity of the Renaissance and the biblical faith that we're reading about uh, in the Gospels is the Christianity of, of the Renaissance built massive, actually even before the Renaissance, uh, uh, because people's lives were so poor, they built massive cathedrals to lift everybody's eyes towards, well, it sure is bad here on earth, but look, heaven's so wonderful. And the cathedral was built as a, as, a, as a shadow, as a picture of what it would be like when we, when we finally ended our miserable lives here on earth. And the, and the, and the, the religion of the scriptures, in, in fact, talks about the opposite. That we have, we have not just a duty, but a delight to live this life this life in constantly reminding ourselves that we are creation that we are created by an almighty creator that loves us greatly and has given us good things so that even when we eat we worship uh, even when we uh, when we uh, go inside and outside of our homes or on the way we worship we make those common things holy by dedicating ourselves to God that's the difference so what we're seeing here is that that uh, all of these things, that we're going to teach these things. If you, if you believe these things, if you really believe them, you'll do them and you'll teach them as Yeshua. We looked at last week. Yeshua taught us. Blessed is he who 
does and teaches others. Uh, this week, we're going to look at repent. Uh, it is the approach for a right relationship. Uh, I've written it best I can in my in my uh, second grade Hebrew script here. The block script is a is uh, there on the on the board, uh, and uh, the pictorial. We've already talked about all these letters pictorially, but the the sheen usually represents either God's protecting force or His consuming presence. Uh, the vav is a nail; it's a tent peg; it's an attachment, and the and the bait which is that last letter. Um, the bait uh, is, is a house or tent uh, or a sun. Uh, so what we see here in, in shuv or repent, we can actually see, and it's a verb, it's, repentance is a great thing, but if you don't repent, you don't have repentance. The verb is what's important, right? Uh, but in shuv, what we see is the, uh, the consuming presence of God attaches one either to the sun or to the house. What is the house? The family. It is, it is, in fact, the people of God. It is, in fact, the presence of God. So it is actually his consuming presence. What we see is actually this is a, this is a temple word. This is a word for the tabernacle. Uh, because that's exactly it. If people wanted to experience the presence of God, where did they go? To the altar, the consuming, consuming place, right? And that attached them, in fact, it made them want to keep going back to that very place where God was, to the tent to the tabernacle, to the house. So this is a temple word to return. It's not a change of mind. In the Greek, and in the Greek way of looking at things, that's actually what it means to change your mind. I have, ser- I have heard many sermons on repentance, and usually it is prefaced by a definition. It is to change one's mind. You cannot change your mind if your actions don't follow. So it's not a change of mind. I can change my mind. I can flip-flop as we this political season. I can flip-flop all, th- all the time. What really matters is not what I say, right? Not what I think. What really matters is what I do. So it's not a change of mind. It's a change of action. It's a change of direction. And in fact, if you were to give directions in Hebrew, you'd be using a variation of this word. Turn here, turn there, turn here, turn there. You're not going to be saying... Uh, think this way and then think that way and then think this way it's as you're going turn turn it is to turn uh, the question becomes a lot of people think that turning means that I have to be involved in some sort of gross sin and then I have to turn around and that's the turn I did see I turned but anybody that's ever driven if you haven't then you'll, you may not appreciate this but anybody that's ever driven knows that every straight line is a series of small turns and in fact it is a daily walk of turning that in fact is what we're talking about uh, it doesn't mean that it's not important to if you're involved in gross sin as the uh, as the um, as the prodigal son was that you have to turn around that's pretty obvious uh, but that's kind of like preaching to the choir right uh, people listening to us discuss this today don't generally need that kind of admonition do we what we generally need is something to Keep on turning. Keep on turning. Don't stop. It's not a one-time thing. Go to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. You know, the book of Isaiah is filled with many difficult and hard admonitions. But I want you to pay attention to where you find something in the book of Isaiah. If you find it from chapter 40 on, not that before 40 is not 
similar in tone. But if it's from chapter 40 on, it is meant as a consolation and a comfort to you. In fact, I would say that Jeremiah has much more scary admonitions. Because Isaiah chapter 40 on, all the stuff, even what sounds like bad stuff, always ends up good. Here's Isaiah chapter 59. So it's meant as a comfort to you. And if you always keep reading, you find out that God doesn't cast off His people. But in fact, that He disciplines them so that they will return to Him. Chapter 59, verse 2. Separated from God is what my Bible has as a heading over it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that he will not hear. Verse 3, For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Even then this, it sounds pretty bad. And what does he say? He's actually giving hope. Even within that, that condemnation, he's giving hope. So it isn't a true condemnation. It's, it's a call for repentance. Go to Habakkuk chapter 1. So our sins separate us from God. Chapter, Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos, Micah, Obadiah. Habakkuk chapter 1. It's right after Nahum and right before Zephaniah. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. He's speaking of, speaking of the Almighty Hashem. And cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on, the, look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? He cannot look on wickedness. The Almighty can't look on wickedness. Our sin has separated us from God. He can't look on wickedness. Go back to Isaiah chapter 66. 66 verse 2. The second part. Actually, we'll read all of it. Isaiah 66, 2. For all these things my hand has made, and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this I will look, on him who is, on him who is pure and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. That goes back to what we talked about when we first started. Fear. Trembles at my word. Do you tremble at his word? I have this. Uh, I have this vivid memory. Uh, my grandfather, on my father's side, was um, had meningitis as a young boy. He never. Uh, I think he went through first grade. He never learned to read. He could not read. My grandfather couldn't read, and yet for hours every day after he retired, I remember him sitting in in this old chair with a uh, with a big, large print Bible on his lap. And a magnifying glass or glasses, depending on, on uh, uh, how he was feeling, reading it. Yeah, he couldn't read. He didn't know how to read. And yet he, he found great comfort by sitting there with God's Word in his lap, turning the pages. Uh, that, that sense, that, that beauty of uh, the preciousness of God's Word. I can read it. Uh, how, how, how much greater... How much, you know, of an order of magnitude greater is my responsibility to do what I read? Uh, we, we, have, we have been given such incredible insights into God's Word. 
the tools that have been given to us in this modern age to discover what God has truly meant to tell us are, are without comparison. You do not have to be a scholar. You don't have to devote your entire life until you're uh, old and, and can barely read to finally discover what God has said. Uh, you can know the wisdom of the ages by starting your computer up. In moments, you can pull up commentaries or whatever else. Too much is given, much shall be required. You, in fact, have been given incredible gifts from God in this regard. Uh, do you tremble at his word? It's to treat it with the, not only the dignity and the respect that the actual pages represent, but to actually read it and say, I will do it and to follow through. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. What do we want? I want to see him. He who cannot be seen. The promise is given here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is it to be pure in heart? That's, uh, if we took that back into the Hebrew, that would be tahor. It's to have, you know, who may ascend, Psalm 24, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Him with, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Uh, it is, it is, it's temple language. That's exactly what this is. This is temple language. To have, to be pure in heart. What is it to be pure in heart? What is it to be tahor? Do you know the difference between tameh, unclean, mm-hmm. and tahor, clean? We have people today that don't know the difference. They think all things are holy or nothing is holy. They don't know that there's a difference between what is holy and what is common, holy and profane. They, all, they think all things are clean. In fact, you can go to your Bible, chapter 7 of Matthew. If it's an English Bible, most likely it incorrectly translates that very thing that Yeshua said and says, and thus he declared all foods clean. <laughs> How foolish. It's the heart that has to be clean. That's right. The heart must be clean, but our actions will follow. That's exactly right. So what we see is our heart, a pure heart. He who has a pure heart, will his actions follow through? By the way, that's exactly what he does all the way through this Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua points out that out of the heart comes what one does. And in fact, if you don't do the right thing, your heart's not right either. You're only fooling yourself. Uh, you can stand up and say, I believe this, uh, or I believe that, and it sounds very good. But if your actions don't follow through, then in fact you don't have a pure heart. Go to Hosea chapter 10. It is most appropriate. It is maybe coincidental, but there's no coincidences. That we're studying this book, or we're studying this word, shuv, repent, during this season, the days of awe, from between Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, to Yom Kippur, these are the days of awe, these are the days of repentance. Ten days of repentance. Actually, it's 40 days if you count the month of Elul, which also is the time of repentance. Go to uh, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. No, there's no Hosea 10. All right, hold on. Yeah, there is. I'm in the wrong book. Hold on. I have a different Bible than you. Hold on. I'm just joking. Although my Bible may be different for yours. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Sow for yourself righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. I find this to be very interesting. 
sow in righteousness. And what do you reap? He comes and rains righteousness on you. You know, I, there's a, there, there is a common view of the word righteousness that I think is, is, is completely unfounded. It's based upon a truth, but it's only one side of the coin. And that is that you are declared righteous. Is that true? Are you perfect? I'm not. I'm not. And yet, I'm declared righteous. Am I not? Why am I declared righteous? Now, let me put it in the personal. Why are you declared righteous? Yeshua's perfect righteousness. We're told. Uh, Paul tells us. He quotes from Isaiah. He's told in Romans. All, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Right? So, a lot of people say, well, if it's imputed righteousness, right, that righteousness that I put on as if clothing, right? Uh, that, in fact, that's what matters. And, it, boy, I'll tell you what. When you stand before the judge, as we're looking at Yom Kippur, when you stand before the judge, isn't that a comfort to know? That there is no shadow, there's no stain, even the smallest stain on that robe. But in Revelation chapter 9, we're told that the saints, that's us, are with him, clothed in white clothing, which are the righteous deeds of the saints. Which is it? Do I do righteousness or am I declared righteous? Well, it sounds like it's both. Um, doesn't it say that the righteous will be judged? Absolutely. And we're all going to be judged. Well, how can we be judged if we're... There's, there is a, well, there's a, but the, the point of being judged is uh, to be declared innocent. Right. Here in America, it's not guilty, right? <laughs> to be declared innocent or be declared guilty. Uh, we're going to be judged. Absolutely. All of us can be judged. That's right. In fact, that's exactly what Yeshua says in chapter 7 of Matthew. At the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? It's not those who said, Lord, Lord, it's those who do the will. Uh, this is that two sides to the coin. You can't take, and by the way, Paul would, is completely in support of James, but you can't take Paul and go, hey, look, James is wrong, as Luther wanted to say, right? Uh, no, no, you're not justified by works at all. Paul says, you're not justified by, uh, not justified by works, you're justified by faith alone. <laughs> James, what does he say? He turns right around and he says, no, works is at work with, with faith. It can't, they can't be separated. But he says that, that you will show your faith That's right. through works. Absolutely. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. But it, yes. Even with old Hebrew thinking, weren't our forefathers righteous though? Of course. Absolutely. Right. Oh. Righteous, it says, Paul calls him righteous Abraham. Go to, go to uh, chapter uh, 6 of Deuteronomy, verse 25. Actually, go to verse 24. Where does righteousness come from? Is it imputed? There's no question. It is imputed. We have perfect righteousness in the work of Messiah. But does that, is that the only righteousness that we are to worry about? No. Verse 24 of Deuteronomy 6. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is his day. There's a... There's a Quid and a pro there. There's a cause and effect. Verse 25. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. It'll be righteousness for us? Absolutely. Who do you think the righteous are? The people that do righteous things. 
Uh, there's no question that we have to respond. That's exactly why it is a shallow thing to call for repentance, but not tell people what it is they're supposed to do. Walk an aisle, raise a hand. That's a great start, by the way. But is that it? Change your mind. Is that it? No. Do the right thing. Stop doing the wrong thing. Do the right thing. How do I know what's the right thing? What's the wrong thing? It's here. It's written down. It's very clear. It's easy to read. Until the theologians get a hold and go, you know, that doesn't really apply to us anymore. Or, oh, this is more important. Oh, that's a weightier thing of the law. So we could do that. You know, I'll tell you the weighty things of law. Kindness, love of, the, of God, love of your brother, kindness, mercy, that's a weighty thing of the law, is it not? Absolutely. Is that, is that binding upon us? No question about it. How do you know what they are? Everybody thinks they're good to their brother. Everybody thinks they love their brother. People who think they're religious think they love God. So everybody's happy, dumb, happy, fat, dumb, and happy going out through life thinking they're doing exactly what's necessary to, be, uh, to be, appear to be righteous. They think in their minds they're so pious. I love God with all my heart. I love my neighbor as myself because that's what I was told to do. That's easy to do. It's not hard. Well, some people might say it's very hard, but that's why you have to work really hard at it. No, the commandments of God are not burdensome. They're not difficult. They're very easy. We just choose not to do them. We find all manner of, this, of reason not to. I'm sorry, Saturday is my day I mow my lawn. It's my only real day off because I have to go to church on Sunday. Uh, there's, I mean, I'm just throwing that out. You know, I'm preaching the choir. Everybody's here on, on Shabbat. But the point, my, the point I'm saying here is that, that we, it's, it's not hard. Maybe you will have to make choices, by the way. But it's not hard. It's not hard. It's not hard to obey God. It's very easy to know what he wants, that he requires of his subjects. He's the king. It's not hard. The question is, are we willing to make the turn, the turns, the repentance, the constant keeping it between the boundaries of the road, those little turns? That's the straight path. It's the path of Yeshua. Yes, Roseanne. Rick, I'm really aware there's a soft gospel being taught. Yes, ma'am. That That's right. At all. At all. None. Not even, hey, change your mind. It's just whatever, you know. Aren't we glad God loves us? And by the way, we are. But to whom, to, that, the fact that God loves us, is, is, the proof of that is that he's not willing to allow us to ruin ourselves and to bring dishonor to his name. That's the proof that he loves us. The proof that he loves us is this precious word that he's given to us with details of what he defines as righteous living. What he says is, in fact, the way that we should live. Let's keep going. Good comments, by the way. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Psalm 60. Did I, go to, did I go to Hosea 10 yet? Yes, I did. Uh, Psalm 66, 18. Nice to know the heat's working, but now it's a little warm, right? <laughs> Psalm 66.18. No, it's fine. I just leave it. Uh, 66.18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. <coughs> Are, you know, James says this. Are your prayers not reaching him? Does God hear? Of course God hears. Does he listen? He does not listen to the prayers of unrepentant people. He just doesn't. If you're not having your prayers answered, that's the first thing you should ask. 
What's my life like? Am I, am I showing myself to be, to be a servant, a subject of the king? When I go to ask the king, am I polite? Do I even bother putting on the right clothes to go see the king? I mean, you know, you know how it is. Like, oh, come on, you know, he's no different than I am. I can walk right in, you know, in my dirty clothes and say, hey, listen, you know, I need such and such. And you said you'll give it to me, so I'm waiting for it. You can go off and, and he's not hearing that. He doesn't hear that at all. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but he's not listening to you. He listens to those who have actually a humble and contrite heart, which means they recognize the king is worthy of all honor and respect. And the way that you show your, that, that you honor and respect him is that you have at least the decency that when you ask him for something, you're not in direct violation of his decrees. It, that's just polite. No less pious. It's just being polite. You know, we want to be more than polite with our God. Uh, and yet some of us are, are content simply to mock him by asking him for anything and at the same time completely disregarding what he has decreed. Uh, how is it that we are to repent? Go to Jeremiah 29.13. How do we repent? Like I said, Jeremiah is a Jeremiah is a scary book. It's also a book of great hope and promise. If you read the book of Jeremiah, uh, this this past week uh, after Rosh Hashanah on, uh, the, uh, on the on the third of Tishrei, uh, we celebrate the 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 assassination of Gedaliah. God actually provided a a resource, a place for the remnant remaining in the land of Israel during the Babylonian captivity for them to be protected and kept. And it was because the wickedness of some men that that was in fact destroyed. They were unwilling to trust God. They assassinated uh, the, the, the good governor, Gedaliah. And in fact, we had uh, basically the, the land spit out the people completely. Uh, the hope that we had was because some were still not content. They could not trust God. They couldn't, they couldn't do what was necessary. Let's go to Egypt, they said. At least we'll be safe there. Instead of remembering that the promise that God said that if you stay here, I'll bless you. Um, There's sort of an interesting picture, Rick, of, of how frequently they have wanted to return to Egypt. Yeah. And yeah, they always want to go to Egypt. Don't we want to go to Egypt? Yeah, I know. Slavery. That's exactly right. Uh, go to chapter uh, twenty-nine, thirteen. And you will seek me and find me when you search me. Search for me with all your hearts. This is a, this is a very important verse to a lot of people. They we quote this verse. What is it to search him with all your heart? How, how do you search for him with all your heart? It's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of New Age seminars with people searching for God with all their heart. They think. What is it to search him with all your heart? Obey. obey. Anne says obey. And she's right. That's exactly right. Remember, you can't go running into the king and go, hey, listen, I'm really, I've been looking for you everywhere. <laughs> wow, so, so glad I found you. You know, he doesn't even see you. When you come in as a servant of the king, a humble servant of the king, recognizing he is king, and you are his humble servant. In complete obedience, in daily striving to live a life that you know that he has said is, is a picture of Messiah. Then you, then you can say, I've sought for him with all my heart. 
you, you, can't, you can't take a disobedient child and say that they really do care about what the parent thinks. If you say you search him with, search, searching for him with all your heart, disobedience cannot be a part of it. Certainly repentance or disobeying or leaning towards disobedience and then coming back to the middle of the road. That's repentance. The picture of repentance. Search for him with all your heart. Obedience. The first step. Obedience. James chapter 5 verse 16. What is it to confess your sins? You know, I, I, I've heard this a lot of times. And I, you know, a lot of times people come to me and go, you know, I've done such and such. I go, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Please, don't tell me everything you've done. Um, and, and, and the apostles were so wise in this. They understood that, in fact, telling people everything you've done is, in fact, an invitation for more sin. Uh, this is not in any way describing a... Can, uh, telling every, everybody all the details of your sin. Uh, it is, in fact, it, that, that is an invitation for additional sin. It just is. We shouldn't be involved in that. That's, that is not pleasing to the Lord. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There it is, a righteous man. Who is a righteous man? Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us and he prayed that it would not rain and didn't rain. For three years and six months. Key period in Scripture, by the way. Three years and six months. What, uh, um, the effect of, what, is the, what is the correlation between confess your trespasses to one another that you may be healed and the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? What is the connection there? Why, why did James put those two in the same... Uh, there were no verses, but why did he put them side by side like that? What's the purpose for confessing, confessing our sins to one another? That we may be healed. But what does prayer have to do with that? First of all, if you're not praying for one another, then you're sinning. You should be praying for one another. Do I need to pray specifically about the sins that certain people are involved in? No. Actually, you already know as much as you need to know. You really do. Now, those people that God has brought you close into contact with, you know far more about them than other people do. You know how to pray for them. Uh, the time of getting together and sharing your, uh, sharing your sins so that people can pray for you is simply a matter of, of feeling better about it and gossiping. People that are close to you, you, they already know how to pray for you. doesn't mean you shouldn't be honest with them. You should. Uh, just be very careful in how much you tell them. Be very careful. It's not supposed to be Let's all talk about, you know, go to the counselor and tell me everything that you, has happened in your life. There may be opportunities for that. I don't know. Uh, I'm not into that uh, um, business. But uh, in, in general, day-to-day -day times that we as brothers and sisters are together, we should not be dwelling constantly on the details of our sin. And those... We are to confess them. We are to confess them. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be we're supposed to be honest with the fact and not to be hypocrites. And that's exactly what he's talking about. You'll find no place for the idea of us all getting together and talking about how awful we are in specific details in the Torah itself. So that James, the ultimate standard here as regard to observance. In the, found in the Apostolic Scriptures. Is he saying, saying something new? No. He's saying the same thing. Where did, where did one confess one's sins in the tabernacle? This is where the Catholic Church gets it. And they got a point. I'm not saying that this is, that's the application, but they got a point. Where do, they, where do you confess your sins? 
when you go to the presence of God. Yeah, well, to a priest, because he's the mediator, exactly like we see in the tabernacle. Exactly. Who, what do you do? You go and confess your sins. By the way, you didn't tell them to the priest in the tabernacle, so they got it wrong. You didn't tell it to the priest. What would you do? You, in fact, laid your hands upon the offering, not the priest. He, he was there as well. He was participant. As the mediator, he was a participant. You laid your hands on the offering and you said, my sins are on this animal and offered it unto the Lord. And, as Hebrews tells us, and as Leviticus tells us, you were cleansed. It didn't last. It lasted for a while you were there so you didn't get killed while you were worshiping God. But the point is that, in fact, God honored that action. That's confessing your sins. So how do I do it to one another? How do we confess our sins with one another? Do we say, okay, I, 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 want, I, want, I want to tell you exactly what I did so that I'll be forgiven. It says so we'll be healed. Let me tell you, um, if I don't want to pick anybody out. If I sin against you, I need to come and tell you specifically that I've sinned against you. Now, I'm not saying we should stir up things that aren't there. Uh, so if you have bad feelings, you don't necessarily need to be stirring things up uh, if, if your bad feelings have not been actions. Simply change your mind. <laughs> Make your actions keep following what you're supposed to be doing. The point here is that, the point, in other words, a lot of people, they, they see offense in everything. They assume they offended everybody, so they're constantly going to them and saying, hey, I'm sorry I offended And the other person going, what? You never, you never did anything. I, didn't, I don't know what you did. But if you do something against someone, you need to go and you need to confess that to them. That's so that you may be healed. That's so you may be healed. Um, the, the prayer services where we all get together, not, not that we shouldn't pray for each other because we should, and not that there shouldn't be things specifically we should pray. If God lays it on your heart, if you see something that you know is a sin in other people's life, you have an obligation to go to them and speak to them and to pray for them. That's why God let you see it. That, in fact, is that close... God let you see it for a reason. Now we have the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when we, it is, absolutely. Uh, but where no relation, if it hasn't been revealed, we need to be very careful where we go. Just don't be hypocrites, yes. I think that where gossip comes in is when people talk about people's sins, but they never get around to praying. That's absolutely right. That's so true, so true. Talking about other people's sins. Yeah. Well, even if I, I, I know people that talk about their own in the same way, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's productive. Go to First John chapter three. I'm running behind again because I'm blabbing. <laughs> I'm always running behind. Nothing's new. Chapter three. First John chapter three, verse three. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as He, speaking of Messiah, is pure. Purifying yourself. You know, these, these are difficult words unless you're just content with the fact that God said it. Listen, if you know something's wrong, don't do it. Uh, you, know, it, it you know, if that's works-based salvation, then in my mind, fine. If you know it's wrong, stop doing it. I promise, if that's your attitude, and if you approach the Scriptures, thank you, if you approach the Scriptures that way, it won't be a replacement for faith. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be the fruit of faith. If it's wrong, just stop doing it. James chapter 4, verse 8. James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. This is temple language. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. This is from Psalm 24. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, heart, your hearts, you double-minded. 
If you, can't, if you keep flip-flopping between doing the right thing and the wrong thing, purify your heart. How do I purify my heart? How can I purify my heart? If you know something's right, do it. If you know it's wrong, don't. <coughs> but I can't, I can't get through that. Romans chapter 7, I keep doing what I don't want to do. I, some things are very difficult to undo once you've done them. That's true. Sin is an entanglement. There's no question about it. So it's not a simple case of don't do it. Well, it wouldn't have been good if you just hadn't done it to start with. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of sin. Uh, Lord Admiral Nelson, uh, the, the hero of Trafalgar, the Battle of Trafalgar, said, fear God, fear sin, fear nothing else. And, and we need to understand that if we haven't indulged, we're that much better off. Because once you get entangled, it is difficult sometimes to stop. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Go to the king. Determine to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Act in the right way. Don't give up. Keep going to the king and telling him, I'm sorry, stop me from doing this. Keep going back. Don't give up. Go to, uh, what are the results Acts chapter 26, verse 20. What are the results of true repentance? Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Therefore, King Agrippa, this is Paul speaking at, at one of his trials. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not, this verse 19, not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do the works befitting repentance. Uh, the, results of, the results are bearing works. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, bearing works. This is where John actually turns to uh, some who are there and says, what are you here for? Stop saying you're repenting and actually do it. You know, until you can, uh, I'm not saying people shouldn't raise their hand or walk an aisle, but until you've de decided to do it, hold off, please. The camp experiences are all fun and feel good, but just do it. 90% of all communication is nonverbal. That's right. That's exactly right. Act like you mean it. Then when you say it, it has real meaning. God doesn't need to hear all of our intentions. He needs to see, again, we're going, here's that picture, going into the king. You're going to go in all, all, all like you don't respect him? Put on the proper clothing first, then tell him. Repentance is always going to be tied to action. It must be. What's the, what's the result of Repentance. It's fruit and more fruit. And this is one of the things I want to really encourage you. As a sinner, it is an encouragement to me to know that the more that I choose to obey Him, the more I do. It's remarkable. In areas that I didn't necessarily even care about at first. It's like when I decide to obey Him in everything, I see my whole level of obedience always being raised another notch. So that some of those, it's not that I don't have sin, because I do, but those areas become more narrow, more shallow, less frequent, because I keep on doing it. It's like wearing a path. You know, if you just keep on walking over that same path, I promise pretty soon, it's really hard to get out of the pathway. Because it's a ditch. 
Wear the path. It's not bad, it's good. How can anyone saying obeying God would somehow be detrimental to you? Do it. Do it for the wrong reasons. I don't care. Just do it. Because eventually it'll be for the right reasons. It's a blessed thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a remarkable thing. What's the result? Matthew chapter 5, you're going to be comforted. We look at that. Blessed are those who mourn. The Sermon on the Mount. Yeshua says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Isaiah 61.2 He's going to comfort all who mourn. He's going to comfort us. The comfort is real comfort. It's not the recognition that we're sinless. It's the comfort that we in fact have an, that we have an account that's paid in full. Mm-hmm. That we have the assurance that the one who pleads for us at the very throne of grace is in fact righteous and has the right to plead for us. Comfort. Now, and this isn't under comforted. Basically, what's the result? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You want to bring, and this is Peter says this, you want to hasten the day of the Lord? Repent. Hasten the day of the Lord. You want to see Him? Repent. You want to see Him soon? Repent quicker. More quickly. Uh, the kingdom's at hand. Isaiah 66. A nation born at once in a day. Isaiah 66, verse 8 and 9. Go to Revelation chapter 2, and then we'll close with this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Of all, the, of all the congregations that, that John writes to in the book of Revelation, of the seven congregations, this is maybe the saddest. You know, all the, especially those who are involved in deep sin. They're very, very, it's very sad. But this may be even the saddest. It's the first one that he writes to. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. This is, the, this is the congregation of Ephesus. Nevertheless, he talks about all the things that they've done right. And he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Where did you get off the path? It may take time for you to wonder, where did I get off this path? Sometimes sin is gradual. It's not, it's not big, gross stuff. It's... It's gradual. It's complacency. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning and go, where, that, you know, where's, where have I been? What's been going on? Here's, here's the instruction. Go back to where you left that path. What was that? What caused that? Was there something back there that made you deviate just a little bit from the path? That's when you left your first love. That was it. That was it. That was the place. Go back there. Reestablish where that path is and walk, walk squarely within it. That's what repentance is. It's going back to where you left the path. Finding that place, whatever it was, and then walking straight in it. It's not merely a prayer. It is action. It's, it's, it, comes from, uh, it comes from a heart, uh, but even if it doesn't come from a heart, changing your deeds will change your mind. Do the first works. Do what you started. When, it, when the passion was high, when you, you know, in those moments when you said, I can't believe that I would ever walk away from the Lord. You know, it's so wonderful knowing that He is with me all the time. Remember that. Go back there. Um, repentance is not simply changing your mind about something or simply agree, agreeing with God. Certainly, we must agree with God. If you don't hold His Word to be pure and precious and applicable to your life, then you can't repent. There's nothing to repent to. 
You're repenting to something. You're not just turning away from something. You're turning to something. What is it you turn to? What he said. That his words are precious, alive, that they're good, they make correction, they discipline us, they're effective, that in fact they are all that's necessary for life and godliness. Uh, because Yeshua has made, he has made them, he has made them real for us. Uh, to repent is not a one-time thing, although it oftentimes some, sometimes starts huge. Uh, it's a lifestyle and a lifestyle of obedience. You should repent every day, all day long. Constantly making those little turns back to where you know that God has in fact declared. It's not just a thought. It's not a noun. It's a verb. Do it and keep on doing it. During these days of awe, this is a time when God has given us, we should repent all the time. This is a time where God has reminded us, maybe reminded us collectively about repentance. These are days that we should be considering how it is that we're going to live our lives not just between now and Yom Kippur but how we're going to live our lives after Yom Kippur until next year this time. It should last all year long. It should be daily. It should be something that we never decide that we're not going to continue in. A constant, constant repentance. Constant turning our eyes to the one who has redeemed us and declared us righteous. Yes. Is a big ministry of building City of Light in South Carolina? Yeah, I'm not aware of it. They have a thing on the internet where you can vote <coughs> declaration of repentance in Chronicles for this country mm-hmm. to our president, Thank you. president to be. It talks about getting the word back into schools, allowing prayer back in schools, sure. getting rid of abortion. The laws that you're disobeying the country are causing God's Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Now, but I would simply say, I would add to that. By the way, I agree with that. But by the way, I also would say that if we if we are upset about the laws of our country and the disobedience of those around us, then it needs to start first with us, and and not just in agreeing of those things that are that we see other people doing, but the things that we are in disobedience of it as well. Um, a, a perfect example is wonderful, godly men and women in 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 in, in greater Christianity. Who are, who are fighting good fights in government and other, in other places to, to motivate people to, in government and in, in, in public service to do the right thing, to do the biblical and good thing, and yet at the same time, don't consider the Word of God to be applicable to them, or only parts of it applicable. Uh, so we need to be all be concerned about ourselves personally. Now let's close in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have not left us alone. You've given us clear instruction. Father, we love your word. Father, we ask that you might make your word real in our lives, that those who look at us might see Yeshua revealed. Father, we thank you that it does reveal your righteousness. It reveals your perfect, perfect, sinless Messiah. And Father, may we, may we, be, uh, may we be true disciples of him. May we be true servants of you. Father, that we be clothed in the righteousness that you have given us in the work of Messiah putting on the clothes of good deeds as well. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.